Hello and welcome to Shoot the Piano Player, a French New Wave podcast. I'm your host Spencer and with me is a very uh, suspicious man who runs a, a fashion house in, I think it's Rome? It's, it doesn't look like Rome, but apparently uh, he he's innocent. Or so he, or so he tells me. You can't tell me. I, I have no idea who ran this place. I have no idea who the manager was, which ones were models, which ones were... It was Cameron because, Mitchell the like, whole time. I mean, every time something happened, there were 17 reaction shots. So I'm like, wait a minute. Who does this matter to? Mm, I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, in conclusion, this is no longer a French New Wave podcast. It is an Italian podcast. That's it. Yeah. If Bobby from the Grindman hears this, he'll be disappointed in you. Why? Because I didn't pay attention? Because you didn't notice <laughs> it was Cameron Mitchell. You learned that right from the credits. I mean, the kid, yeah, exactly. I knew it was. <laughs> he, he's a Grindman all-star. Like, his, his late career when he was an old man is very spotty in some glorious mm-hmm. and terrible ways. I see. And this is kind of like the start of that descent of him not giving a shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not saying just this, this is not a bad movie, but it's the snowballs like, oh, he made good movies as an old man. I didn't know that. <laughs> All right. So this is Blood and Black Lace, the second half of the pairing with uh, the soft skin, the, the Truffaut movie that I like a little bit more than Joel, but it's still a good movie. Watch it. It's it's still it's a underseen uh but uh should be seen anyway so returning is uh all-star favorite of the show uh let me talk about the baby and why it's brilliant on her podcast is uh melanie daniels yeah thank you for having me back and i uh I was talking to Nolan about the baby episode. He, f- he, not that he forgot we did it, but he was just like, we had a whole episode about the baby. I was like, yeah, Spencer was on. He was like, wow. <laughs> mm. Just like, I worry about you dearly. But yeah, thank you for having me back. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome back anytime. Uh, well, any It's guess, probably please. a shell so- shock situation, right? Like, it, it was so... It was so traumatic for him recording with Spencer that he <laughs> has blocked it out of his head. And he came back I to think talk that about he, Godard. <laughs> he truly doesn't remember what we... T- I think he blacks out once you hit record. That's why it's amazing. Because every time it's like a brand new boy. That's what you get. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In the last few <laughs> uh, cinema parlors, there were some great uh, Nolan moments. I edit so much of Nolan out, be- not because I mean he's amazing, but it's it's so much. Like this, he'll he'll tell me like, no, no, no cut that out. I don't know, not that he sounds dumb or anything like that. He's just like, I don't. Maybe that's too too much, and it's just him being him. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll cut it down. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, it, uh, yeah. People listening should listen to Simo Parlor. You'll get some great Nolan nonsense. Uh, if you listen to stories it. of his adventures, <laughs> yeah. To to go back to this movie here, can either yes. of you tell me what the Italian title actually is? Uh, six women. Of... Oh. 
Oh, you're actually saying No, no, go for it. I think it's six women (laughs) of the murderer. Yeah, that's correct. Six women of the murderer? I think that's what it is translated. What the? Yeah. That's, okay, I'm glad it's blood and black lace. Six (laughs) women of the murderer. Thank you. Checklist. (laughs) Uh, I can attempt. (laughs) I should have looked it up before if I was saying Italian. So this is... It's Sedon per la Sassion. Oh, thank you. Sedone per la Sassionino. Crushed it. Le assassin. Le assassino. That's what it's assassin. Assassino. L'assassino. Yeah, add the extra, like, garlic at the end. Joel. (laughs) Garlic. I took French in high school, and our teacher was very big on, like, no, no, more, more. Like, give it that oomph. And it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. all right. Now I feel like I'm doing, like, a parody of something, (laughs) and it feels offensive. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a scene from uh, the uh, Inglorious Bastards when uh, Christoph Waltz <laughs> meets the two guys pretending to be Italian. Say it again. Ba 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 ba. Louder. More passion. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that scene has my favorite music cue in any Tarantino movie when the camera's panning through the theater. But that's mm-hmm. uh, camera. I, I look for that movie. Uh, when I, I almost bought the soundtrack because I thought it'd be on there, but it is not. And I haven't found where that music cue came from. But that's <clears> not the point of this. So, this is our first Jalo episode. We're going to have a couple more, like Deep Red, coming down the line at some point. And mm-hmm. maybe a Jalo special episode. But no one has seemed, seems interested in doing that one yet. So. I don't know. My, no my, one's interested in doing a Jalo episode. Or it, jo- Jalo? How do you it, say it? it? I say Jalo. it differently every time. Yeah. Well, you can also say like Jali. Like it. Yeah. It just there's like two. You could say it any way you want. No one knows. Yeah, and it. Uh, yeah, no. The, it's on the episode. It's on the episode list. No one's picked it. Melly, you can pick it if you want to. They're probably intimidated by it. Like they probably like, oh man, I'm not an expert on gelato. Like, what well, am I supposed to? <laughs> well, for everyone, you know, I, what I haven't watched them all. Okay, well, for everyone uh, listening who uh, doesn't know, if it's like a special episode like that, I let the guest pick the movie, or or I work with the guest in picking the movie. So, hey, yeah. I'll definitely if you guys want to talk about another giallo, I'll come back. But oh yeah, you're welcome. Just I mean, like, you guys, yeah, you're. Like, you're talking about some of the the big ones, so you're doing the heavy hitters. We could do something really weird and obscure if you want, because there's some... If, I mean, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, there's some weird stuff in there. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind digging up like a really bad, uh, weird one. Not bad. There's some real <laughs> shitty ones I've seen that I never want to rewatch. Oh, yeah. Uh, Iguana with every the tongue, type of movie. Yeah, Iguana's The Tongue of Fire, my favorite movie title ever. Fuck mm. that movie's so boring. It's. Uh, Are we doing? Uh, I don't know if this counts as a yeah. gelato. Uh, bird with a crystal plumage. Oh yeah, um, yeah, that definitely counts. Yeah, we we might do that again, okay. uh, Melly. If you want to talk about that one on the episode, well, we can discuss that yeah. another time. That that's fair, but I'm down for mm. sure. Okay, and okay, so first off, I want to get out. My my one hard rule with Jalo, which is, uh, 
no supernatural so like to me Suspiria doesn't really count because it's it starts out like one but then it quickly pivots into no this is a witch coven movie right. and so then in, and oh. yeah but that I, becomes like a a thing kind of later in the the subgenre where they add this like supernatural element whether it's an actual entity or if it's just the way the camera moves you know yeah and also I want to add at the same time it doesn't matter Mm-hmm. <clears throat> my favorite Jallo is Kindergarten Cop. No, never mind. <laughs> no, we talked about it on Grind. Hey, I love Kindergarten Cop. If you guys ever do an episode on that, I'm in. All right. Hmm. Uh, okay, so uh, <laughs> he's like, we're not talking about next season. I'm still trying to work out next season, but uh, yeah. uh, so uh, this is the. I guess you want to be technical about the second Shallow film that was mm-hmm. that was ever made, which was uh, Blonde Black Lace by Mario Bava. He did one bef- the year before with uh, Hollywood hunk John Saxon. Uh, maybe he's wearing a wig. I don't know, but like he looked good in that movie. Uh, girl new to you know I, I I saw a movie with him in the fifties where mm-hmm. he like you know he's young and fresh and stuff like that and the, the man held up over the years like I'm I I'm pretty sure what people say yeah he got a toupee and he kept changing it over the years but like uh, he he was just a uh, unlike um, ooh, what's his name from. Uh, Death Wish movies there. Charles Bronson, oh, whose yeah. face oh, always yeah. always kind of looked like a statue. Uh, John Saxon is a, you know, a young man. And then, like, in the 80s when he shows up in Nightmare, it's like, hey, it's still a handsome old guy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I never... I think it's because I associated him with Nightmare for so long that once I started getting into film... I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's not just Nancy's dad. He's, like, a film legend. He's been in so much. But... Mm. I've never, and it's not, he's a perfectly good looking, attractive man, but I never was like, oh yeah, I'm down. I oh, watched yeah, yeah, yeah. the dumbest movie with him and all of a sudden I was like, I feel something and I don't know what's <laughs> happening to, to me. And it was, oh, it's like my my mom's a werewolf or something. Oh, yeah. it, like, it's such a silly, it's really fun if you can find it. You should, I mean, it used to be on Prime, at least stateside. It's definitely worth a watch, but all of a sudden him with like yellow contacts and again whatever's going on with his hair i was into it and was like this is weird <laughs> interesting uh, <laughs> he's a chameleon i tell you no yeah. mm-hmm. and uh since uh this episode's all all over the place already but whatever it, people should expect that already uh certainly yeah so uh this is mario bava and Melly. you are not uh the, uh, the the Super Bava special was taken a while ago, so uh, now's your time to speak about Bava and your experience with him and uh, all that stuff. If I may uh, mm-hmm. pose a question, first of all, Melanie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mario Bava, how do you feel? I... Oh, that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was like, is that the... I thought I didn't know if we were going further. How do I feel? Mario Bava got it. Uh, I I mean, I love Bava. Bava's, you know, he's the grandfather of Jalo film. 
And for me, it's not always his, uh, like, comparing it to someone like Argento, where it's more than just the colors, it's the architecture, it's the, you know, the stories are bigger. Uh, It's just different because Bava, it's a little bit, I mean, it's it's more of like, well, plus he had, like, no budget. I mean, he started out in... uh, working on like sword and sandal Italian films and kind of worked his way up and then started doing thrillers and, uh, and then Jalo. But I don't know. I, I, there's something that even his black and white films, they, I mean, it's obviously you can tell because they're so iconic. You see it. I mean, if you're a fan of him, you know, his work, you know, his camera movements. It's, there's definitely like, it's very lyrical in the way he uses the camera, but I I just think it's interesting. I mean, something like this, seeing, I, I'm excited to talk about one of his films that are in color because obviously color with Bava is such a big thing, but I mean, I don't know. I just, yeah, I'm a big fan. I won't, I feel like I'm just rambling again. I, I know you guys are doing other Bava episodes, so I didn't want to like go on a whole spiel about his backstory, but I'm, I'm a big fan. Okay. Um, I'd say I'm, I'm in a similar boat. Uh, I have said before, he's one of my favorite directors ever of all time, which the more, Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, if I had to do a Mount Rushmore of directors, Bava would be up there. And, um, and uh, my uh, my introduction to him was like like a lot of things I'm super into. I had no no pre predis- uh, no uh, no predisposition one way or other. And it's just mm-hmm. something I kind of stumbled into, which I think is the best way to discover uh, things. And so, uh, what was your first? It was either Hatch for a Honeymoon, my favorite of his, or it was A Girl Who Knew Too Much, mm-hmm. or Bay of Blood. I kind of saw them like within a day because they're all on Netflix streaming uh, like eight years ago, nine years ago. Mm-hmm. So you just dove hard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like immediately I just became like obsessed and uh, I just kept rewatching like the the ones that are on Netflix over and over again. And uh, some and there are some that aren't that I haven't been able to see that I'm kind of saving. Uh and like uh, Kill Baby Kill, I haven't seen yet, but that's when uh, I hear like. See, and that's yeah, that's one of my favorites. Uh, I have a hard time picking like a top like five or ten of anything, but I would say that's well in my top five of his Kill Baby uh, Kill. Okay. But uh. Cool. Yeah. So like, I just love Baba. It's like it's, like it's not scary. Like par- some parts are scary, but like most horror movies, if you're a horror fan aren't scary most of them are like you just like it for lighting or characters or types of story and it's not for scares and like the something with bava and like the style and the lighting and just the way everything moves and then learning everything was super low budget and and he yeah. was and it was it literally like is this his creativity and like he wasn't he wasn't auteur and it's down to like it, money doesn't matter. It depends on like if you know your shit and if, and if you don't. 
Yeah, when we we did an episode recently where we it was like Nolan's hodgepodge episode, but we talked about um, Hercules and the Haunted World, and it's like all of those sets. I mean, it had a shoestring budget, and all of those sets were repurposed and recycled from other shoots because they were filming so many of those uh, in Italy at the time. So it's just it's something that is just like basic beige. Everyone's used this before, but because he is the person, you know, I mean, with his cinematographer, he's the person in control. It's, it feels totally different and fresh and just dreamy. And it's just, it's, it's a hundred percent just because of him. It's his talent. Yeah. Uh, J dog, do you remember how you've learned about him? Uh, before I delve into that, the, I, I have a problem with the idea that money doesn't make a difference that, talent is a thing because i think that in some cases people don't feel the ability to use their talent unless there is money to fulfill what they're looking for like i there are plenty of film subjects that like oh yeah we were making do with whatever we could but you also learn that they had to keep pushing back the movie because the director had this idea and until it was done you know we weren't going to get by kind of thing also You've seen many cases where we've seen many cases where directors we had once thought were these astonishing creatives because they had done so much with so little get the budget that they need, you know, or, you know, ask for a certain amount and they actually get it. And then their work suffers because of they no longer have the limitations that they previously had. So I think that it can work either way. And okay. uh, I, I'm not that experienced in Baba's work, so I can't really say. Uh, the first thing I ever saw by Mario Bava was Kill Baby Kill. And I thought it was boring. <laughs> that was back in 2014. It's been six years. I think I've changed my film taste a bit. But his favorite movie that I've seen, and I've only seen three of his movies, is Planet of the Vampires. I love that you love that film. It is so ridiculously silly but so gorgeous like one of the prettiest sci-fi movies i've ever seen and like you just get kind of like sucked into how much how interesting and fun and like uh you can't really tell where the plot's going so like yeah it's style over substance but it's like a feast it's so good yes and uh, that really worked, you know, like I said, that, that worked incredibly for me. I recommend that to anyone. Now, Blood and Black Lace lies in between those two for me. Because you, you said that as a horror movie fan, you don't really find things, you know, like people who are into horror tend to stop finding things as scary. Yeah. And maybe you'll start rating something as effective or like interesting and things like that. For me, this movie was scary because it was disturbing. Okay. The the cruelty enacted towards the women in it. Uh, you know, my previous Jalo is is like Suspiria and a couple of other things. It's like we 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 kill a person and then we move on. This movie was like, oh, these women are gonna get it, and yeah, they suffer. Ugh. Yeah. Anyways, it was scary to me is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Every, I think it's because I watch so much, like, I don't know if either of you do this, where 
all of a sudden you'll take note of your like oh i am desensitized to stuff because i i was like looking at something i like had a something on my screen where i was it was for this film this was like last week when i was just like looking at different things and i think i had a poster and it's like a girl like just all these women sprawled out and I was like someone came by and said something like oh what are you looking at and I was like oh I should probably be embarrassed by that like that probably looks super sketchy to you like there's just a bunch of murder women on my screen it's like yeah it's awful it's horrific like the things that happen now that you say that it is bad but I just think of how even watching it this last time it's like I and I've seen it probably like just a handful of times it's not one I watched a lot but I was struck about, I mean, it is, it, it goes for it with these girls. They get it. Yeah. The, the first murder in like the first five minutes, this, cause, uh, this was one I held off on. Cause once I, like once I knew, oh, we're doing Italian French next season. I was like, yeah, we'll cover this. So I'll watch it then. Both times the, the opening kill is genuinely disturbing. Not, not scary, but it's like, oof. Like for a movie that's over fifty, almost sixty years old, it's like, like it, it still is very effective. Yeah, it, it's effective to me in a, in a good way. Um, not not in a like, I feel like the director is depraved or something like that. Like I feel like if, uh, yeah, like if you're watching that for the first time and you don't have some sort of reaction, like. Uh, not not even necessarily the first one. The, the the part of the first kill that disturbed me the most was when he was dragging the body on the lawn and, like, her clothes was getting pulled in a way to be more revealing. And yeah. it's like you're seeing a woman that you know in real life is not dead. She's an actress. And you find, if you're, you know, a heterosexual man who finds that type attractive, you'd be like... That's actually an arousing thing, a woman's clothes being peeled off. Except for the fact that this is a woman playing a woman who was just brutally murdered. And you're watching the killer drag the body off. It's like this uh, this conflict of, of moral and... Uh, oh, it's a highly it's, fetishized film. It's, it's gr- yeah. It's wow. very, very sexual. Uh, yeah. And I mean, even in the title, like, well, the American title, I should say, Blood and Black Lace, that's very... It's provocative automatically. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Although I argue the weapon of body is a hornier movie. Oh no! It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's are we rating horny obvious. movies? Obvious. Yeah. Time. I was yeah. like, this isn't. Okay. I, Blood and Black Lace is a very sexual film. I don't okay. think it's very horny. Okay. We haven't even talked about Alvin the Chipmunks chipwrecked yet. <laughs> <laughs> is that the one with John Waters in it? I don't know. Um, I just the. I, thought, I know they stopped. They finally stopped making those movies, but I kind of wish they kept going to insert the word chip into more terrible titles. Because there's one I saw a clip on Twitter like a month ago, where it's like John Waters wanted to play next to Alvin, and Alvin's like, "Well, the Chipettes were they were real ladies," and then Alvin says, "I've seen pink flamingos," and it's like, "Who is this joke for?" <laughs> it's for you. It's for you. But you'll never see it because you'll never watch that movie. <laughs> I've, I don't know how many of those films, I don't know how many exist, but I've seen some of those, a lot of things that I watched around a certain time period is whenever I worked at a theater, so I watched a lot of stuff through a porthole and projection, and just because you had to keep an eye on on everything, and 
yeah, they're not, you know, they're not very good. <laughs> uh, uh, when the third one came out, David Cross did like a podcast tour telling people, don't see this movie because his contract <laughs> was up and he could finally talk shit about it publicly. <laughs> oh, yeah, because he was like the, the manager, the music manager yeah. in those. Yeah, he did it for a fat paycheck, which it must have been great. But then uh, it's also equally great hearing him talk about how it was awful <laughs> to film those movies. <laughs> Other people had work in there, you know, that decide yeah. that deserve recognition just because David Cross thinks he's above it, you know, well, or yeah. that they treat, you know, even if they did treat him like shit, like, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel that's I'm conflicted. Well, yeah, I always feel always like been, anytime yeah. someone, I mean, he's always he's, been a grumpy he's spicy. Asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not the David Cross I know. <laughs> I don't know it's a different one. I mean, he seems mm-hmm. nicer now because he's a dad and shit. He's probably calmed down, but I do so, have a thing with people trying to like, it's like talk shit about certain films where it's like, man, so many people worked on those films. <laughs> but I get like, if he wants to talk about his experience, more power to him. Like, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So okay. So first off, uh, with Blonde Black Lace, I want to say that uh, in this movie, is this movie doing bisexual lighting? <laughs> is that what? That's that the lighting is? <laughs> bisexual lighting? Bisexual lighting. The, the kids on Twitter are talking about bisexual lighting. Oh, I see. It's like purple that's and red. I'm not, a, I'm not a kid on Twitter. I don't... Not, bisexual. Yeah. I thought the bisexual flag, that's like purple, pink, and... Oh. Or no, it's like purple, white, and blue, maybe? So I'm I don't know. Sure. I don't know what that means. I don't know what the, the Twitter kids are doing. I don't know either. I just keep seeing it pop up like last week and it's like <laughs> it, I didn't know this was a thing. I don't think um I don't think you're dabbing or uh doing uh the what's what's that dance where you move your fists quickly around your waist? Oh, flossing. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't think that you're assisting our mature discussion of this movie by trying to insert your Man, woke terminology. Whenever Spencer asked me if I wanted to talk about Blood and Black Lace. I, dollars to donuts, did not think we would talk about flossing. That's amazing. <laughs> and I think flossing well, is it, not cool as a, anymore. So, My nieces oh, don't, definitely. don't think Probably it's cool, not. It's so. like, yeah. it, No, it's, that's a, the dabbing thing. Like, I think of that scene in uh, eighth grade. Is that the name of that movie? Um, yeah. Yeah, when when the, the administrator like does it in front of all the kids and there's no reaction, like that's what it feels like. That's when it, yeah. The idea of flossing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, okay. I was hoping someone could tell me what bisexual lighting meant, means. I'm, I'm so sorry. I don't. Not, yeah. I I feel bad because I'm not I'm not bisexual except for the fact that when I see a hot man I'm like hey hottie what's going on just kidding I mean I I do think that everybody kind of looks like the lights that he uses I think everybody looks very flattering granted we're looking I mean this is a gorgeous cast just in general I mean at least the yeah all of the girls are absolutely stunning so compared to a movie Spencer and I just talked about Bloody Pit of Horror. I didn't realize that they didn't actually hire, like, actors for that movie. And then I saw this movie, and I was like, oh, there is a difference. And uh, just to to warn you guys, I watched this English dub because that's that's how I get my kicks. I enjoy watching movies with the English dub. Oh, I... 
any like Italian films or anything like that, I always watch the English dub because you're never going to get the actual, I mean, everyone's speaking their native language and then they dub it anyways. So Italian, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't really matter. And the English is usually funniest. So, yeah. And you're not going to be able to follow the plot anyways on some of these. And that's, I mean, it sounds like you guys know there was a plot here. And I'm interested to hear what this was. Uh, there was more. Of a, I am. There's more of a plot in this one compared to like what Jalo became. I see. See, for me, I think that you. Uh, granted, I love like the the swanky kind of waning like score that you get with this. So I'm I'm into the sound, obviously, but I think you could totally mute it, and you're not going to you're going to understand anything that you need to understand. Sure. I think it it with everything that's it's setting up, you don't really need much of a plot. I do think that this has a better story than a lot of Jalos. Like I th- I think it's very simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I do think that some I mean we don't have a protagonist, which is a problem. You don't have anyone to <laughs> cling to as an audience. I was I was clinging to the the guy who looks like uh, that actor that was an M Peter Lorre? Yeah, it uh, looks like Peter Lorre. I was going to say, no one looks like Peter Lorre ex- except this this Italian man. I don't understand. That's The last time I watched this, I was like, nobody looks like Peter Lorre. This guy looks like his Italian brother, like in a, a duplicate. Yeah, I had to double check the credits when I first saw. I was like, when did he die? And I think he died this year, 1964. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe he had a, a secret Italian kid. At some point, it's oh, it's yeah. startling. Yep. He, and I don't the, know the, <laughs> the guy. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say on the uh, on the set of Casablanca, he seduced an Italian woman. But uh, <laughs> yeah. apparently, uh, he had bad teeth, and his breath always smelled terrible. Oh, everyone yeah. had bad teeth. Come on. Apparently, that's a thing that people don't think about when they romanticize the past is the smells. They never think yes. about that. <laughs> Uh, that tickled me. Thank you. <laughs> All right. And uh, uh, do you guys think the killer outfit looks like Rorschach? Okay. Yes. But the Rorschach is a basically. I'm sorry if I cut if I cut you off, Joel. Did you no, have something no, please, to say? No, <laughs> no. Please continue. If uh, I will add anything. Okay. So Rorschach. The way Alan Moore did the characters initially for Watchmen, um, he was going to use DC characters that already exist. Or maybe it wasn't DC. I forget. There might have been like another. It's DC now owns every all of these characters. It might have been something else at the time. Right. But he was going to use uh, characters that were already established. And once they found out that he was like going to kill a bunch of them off, they're like, yeah, you can write your own characters. Sorry. Mm. But one of these characters, and it's it, if you look it up, it's called, uh, I think it, it's The Question yes. from DC Comics. Mm-hmm. It It's this exact, I mean, it, it's the exact, like, Blood and Black Lace killer. It, and then he turned the question into Rorschach. So mm-hmm. it is, I mean, that's, I don't know, I couldn't find anything if that was, like, the origin for that artist. But I think that... The question he he might have appeared first like late sixties early seventies so it was definitely after this. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, uh, I'm not. I have no idea when he appeared, but 
Interesting. What I thought of was Lips Manless. Oh. Because I, I recently watched uh, Dick Tracy and it kind of yeah. Dick Tracy's color scheme and, and set design it fits way into the Bava Absolutely. Uh, thing. I'm 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 per- I, you know, like you can't really ever point to somebody unless they directly say that uh, this was an influence, but I'm pretty sure somebody there might have been influenced by this. I just got, like, well, I say just got, it's been a year because I got it before all the stuff right. with pa- the last oh, year. Yeah. But I got a, a novelization of Dick Tracy, Tr- Dick Tracy, and it's so good. Cool. It's so much fun. I am jealous. Huh, uh, yeah. Okay, I'm looking up question here. Let's see. So it says here he w- he was born in no wait nineteen eighty six okay so way later I feel like no I feel like it was earlier than that but I could be I could be oh, wrong you know what? but this is the name of the character never mind this is not the right person but I know it was after this I just don't know when his origin whenever he comes okay. on the grid. <clears throat> Yeah, what do I, you guys think of the look of the killer? I think it looks really cool. It's creepy I because, mean, like, he has he has no face. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it's 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 yeah. It's, it's simple. Obviously, yeah, yeah. It's obviously a strong man by the shape of the body. Well, although I don't want to assume the gender of the actor. Anyways, <laughs> uh, Wait, is I just mean archetype? that it's an intimidating figure, and then it has no face, no expression. The only thing we know is it's angry at us for some reason. You know? Yeah, it's a lot like, I, I feel like it's just this universal thing of, um, like, a nightmare where you have a dream about, you know, a figure that has no face. Or I mean, it's why Halloween's so effective, because Michael Myers just being the shape no features, just this washed out, you know, figure. And even no Slenderman. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's creepy. It, there's something about not being able to, it's like dehumanization. It's just, it. it's icky feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so first up, like, uh, uh, the intro, like, watching this, like, I, I, wish, I wish movies had intros again like this. Where like you introduce the cast yeah. in a fancy way, and there's lighting, and I mean the Bond movies and it's do funny. it because you know it's kind of tradition for them. But like I, I don't know why I fell out of favor because in this case it's like, yeah, like do more cool shit like this. Like this will get people interested immediately. Have you guys seen the American cut of the intro? Uh, I watched it I on the Blu-ray. So. It's not as oh, good. Oh, yeah. it's yeah. It no. So the first, I think the first time I ever saw blood and black lace it was like a really really shitty vhs rip like somewhere i downloaded it i don't know but it it looked terrible and it had that intro so that was i didn't see this intro until i i mean i think whenever arrow released that blu-ray i i don't know if that was 2014 2015 somewhere around there uh so i always knew it having that really bad intro it's not that it's bad it's it's fine it's it, they still have the mannequins and they have uh the cast isn't featured it's just kind of bullet points with their names and oh, then you have like the skull that keeps coming up that's like glowing but this i feel like the original italian intro is just so funny 
it's classy it like sets the mood for what you're stepping into it's so like just stylish yeah it's uh you get you get all the colors you get the mannequins you, you like you know it's setting up absolutely everything i li- i like that it has this like uh what what introducing the cast that way as actors playing characters does is once again separates the idea of us watching a story actually happening but as actors uh playing characters because i think most hollywood movies now do the thing where they don't show the title of the movie until a few minutes until after footage has actually been going and it's partially a way to try to get you to forget that you're watching a movie and that you're just having an experience you know like these could be real people being attract attacked by transformers right now i don't know sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but i i don't think i'd want that for every movie but for horror movies i i would love it like like every time uh, the new uh uh what's I mean, one of those movies patrick wilson's in he's in a million of them oh, insidious <laughs> oh yeah no, no you're talking about the other uh, one uh, oh my gosh, The Conjuring. <laughs> the Conjuring, yes. The Conjuring. <laughs> the next Conjuring, it should introduce everybody. Because those are already feel like kind of stagey, uh, uh, a little bit out of the people trying to pretend they're real people kind of thing. And it's like, let's just take it a little step farther away. Why not? You know what? I agree with that too, because you're about to watch these people be brutally just tortured Brutal. and mm-hmm. just... It awful. I do think there should be this moment of, we're just people. It's totally fine. We're good. Everything's cool. Enjoy the movie. Yeah. And like, and then they send you off. I do like that. There is a moment since you brought it up. I have to talk about it. Uh, the Conjuring. Patrick Wilson also, or not the Conjuring. The um, Insidious films. Patrick Wilson also in those. There is a scene in Insidious Two that it, it's like I don't know if you have moments of unintentional laughter with things. But there's a moment in that film that makes me laugh so hard. And, like, I'll think about it at random times and just start laughing to myself like a crazy person. But uh, Patrick Wilson, uh, I forget who's playing his wife in those films, but he takes a tea kettle or a pan off of a, like, an oven, like, a stovetop, and he just chucks it at his wife because Mm. he's possessed in this moment. And she goes down, like, hard. And there's something about a tiny... And I'm, I'm small, so I can say this. There's something about a tiny person just being taken out that is very funny to me. She goes down hard every single time. Me and Nolan were just talking about this for some reason. I can't remember why. But I had to bring it up. It's really good. You should I, watch it. I think it's Rose Byrne is the wife. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. How could I forget? She's amazing. Yeah. When you say tiny, are you talking, like, Dan DeVito size, like, under five foot? I just mean she's a, she's a small female. Okay. Just in general, she's small, she's petite, and she goes down hard, Spencer. Like, she gets wiped out. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's rough. I've only seen the it first one. It makes me laugh so hard. Because uh, I asked friends, and they said, you don't need to go any further. You don't. You really don't. But except for this. Okay. Because it's re- Yeah, the reason I never wanted to go further in that is because my favorite characters in the first movie are Lin Shay and her, her special boys, and uh, they get wiped out. And I realized that they do, like, time travel and she comes back and stuff like that, but I still felt like, come on. You know, people talk 
crap about, well, maybe not now. I don't know. I don't know what they do on Twitter because I feel like film Twitter, they change their opinion constantly. Bisexual lighting. There you go. But I feel like people now, they kind of like, most of the time people enjoy like that first Conjuring film. It's wonderful. It's creepy. I feel like the Insidious films kind of get dogged on a little bit. And I, that first film is pretty good. I really like it. Great credit sequence. We're not talking about that. I'm sorry. I'm derailing this. No, no. It's fine. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> you've been on here enough times. Like, it, it, it happens. Okay. Well, and if anyone listens to Cinema Parlor, we're not. It, it's always a mess. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if anyone's listened to any of other uh, episodes of this podcast, it's always a mess. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're fine. Yeah, I'm adding one right now. It's like kind of a little messy. Uh, mm-hmm. It actually comes out next we- this weekend. Uh, oh my gosh. The one where we're talking about the Muppets for like 20 minutes towards the end. <laughs> oh my gosh, I just started watching the Muppet show this morning again. So good. We won't get into it, but it's good. Yeah, it is so yep. good. Uh <laughs> I don't know what to even talk about this movie. Like I just, I kind of like, like, I, it's, well, like it's Tony, a thing of like I kind of uh, love everything <laughs> that the movie does. I, I'm dead Maybe serious. Maybe we should just go around our general like thoughts on the film because I feel like Joel has a slightly different take than you and I, Spencer. Maybe J Dog. Just, just <laughs> lay 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 it out for me, please. Tell me what the actual plot is. Here, like what what happens just story beats you know we don't have to get into like super detail um okay so you have a obviously this whole thing is taking place in a high fashion salon so mm-hmm. it's these clothes are being presented you know to the public and we have a sex maniac on the loose apparently who's killing the models of the salon in short, that's what we have. Now, if you're talking about how everyone's connected, so our first murder victim who we talked about, and it is her death scene, it is awful. I mean, and especially because like, I feel like it just, the way Bava draws you in is the credit sequence is so great and it's lighthearted. And then you have, you're focused on the the sign, the, what is it, Christiana, um like fashion house sign that's creaking in the wind and you're in the rain and you have this beautiful girl come out and you know immediately you're just like oh okay this is what this is what we have and her death sequence so that's which I won't get into all the character names because I will admit that's something that I'm I don't care who's who like I know two names I think really of the girls um but the first girl I know that causes the catalyst for all of this is Isabella. And so what we find out, which we don't have to spoil it for people that haven't seen it. I don't know if you guys want to go into that, but basically she is involved in a blackmail scheme. Okay. okay. And that's, that's the catalyst for all of the deaths. She, so it starts with her and then there's little transgressions that happen by, from the other models that, cause their demise as well so oh, okay but that's the short of it yeah the, the diary has all the secrets 
The diary okay. has all the secrets. And the reveal is you, of who it is is because they also had secrets in the... Okay, I think I, mm-hmm. I'm starting mm-hmm. to remember mm-hmm. what they were talking about. Yeah, so, like, everyone <laughs> is fucking everyone, probably... Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the, the thing that didn't... Cocaine on everything, too. The thing didn't that essentially didn't make sense to me, or the most, was the burning of the diary and the reaction of the killer to having the diary burn. Like, I guess... I think it's because they don't believe that it was destroyed. That's the only explanation I could come up with. Mm -hmm. Unless it was... I was like, is there a third killer? Is there somebody who like was like, no, I wanted to blackmail people now. (laughs) I want to kill the hot models. I want to do it. Uh, That is the death that I found the most disturbing was the face on the stove. Okay, so I I don't know if you guys again how much you guys want to get into each of each plot point, but so that's Peggy, and to me I I think it's the most interesting because and I don't know if you picked up on this Joel, um, but her so she takes the diary from uh, one of the fashion shows whenever they're you know working. Uh, we have this great moment of the bag tracking sequence where, you know, one girl puts the diary in the bag and then everyone's eyes are on it. It's amazing. Um, but Peggy steals the diary. And in it, it's you get this little, you know, moment where she reads through. And I wasn't certain if I was correct in this because I know translations, you know, it's kind of messy at best. So, but she had Peggy had an abortion she went to Isabella for money she was actually stealing from her and Isabella finds her she gives her the money to do this and this is money that she has blackmailed from our killer and so then she has to go back to the killer and get more money and that's all of that but I think it is very interesting that foreign film at this time like uh westerns and horror films you know specifically uh, were more salacious and provocative than American films, but I feel like the treatment of Peggy in this, her death is by far, she, not only is she um, tortured and kidnapped and then brutally murdered, I mean, she's the only one that is taken somewhere else, you know? It's it's not a quick thing. It's a very prolonged thing. I think it's interesting that the one character who had an abortion, I mean, it's very puritanical. Like, it's it's messed up. I don't know. And again, that might not be a thing that was intentional. I'm just reading right. into it, but it's interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, oh, we we can only read the text that's that's yeah. left yeah. for us, whether or not the intention was there. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think uh, like in general, I don't think Baba has much of a like political uh, noticeable political stance or like yeah on anything. It's like I just think it's like this makes for a good story. Let's have the scene in here. Mm-hmm. Well, like, and like having that like red hot stove, yeah. it looks amazing. It does, yeah. It it was. I mean that that's another thing that like was actually scary to me was this whole first person thing. Uh, I I keep thinking of the EC comics like horror things, like especially the one where that something is just getting closer and closer to that person's eye. I was like, I'm going <laughs> to throw up. <laughs> like I don't like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I felt like a, a real Fulci moment, although Fulci, you know, uh, 15 years later would take it uh, much further than anyone thought it would be taken. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Fulci. 
Yeah. <laughs> Wait, are we covering a Fulci? Uh, possibly. Okay, well, give me give me warning in advance. I'll clear okay. up an entire week or something. Okay, uh, I shall do that. <laughs> um. Yeah, Fulci, that's... I feel like Fulci and polarizing are just like a marriage. That's what it is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot, a lot of opinions. Yeah, and... Um... Uh, some of the bonus stuff on the Arrow disc, there's a couple things with Argento, which Argento, um, th- apparently there was a time in his career where he didn't want to talk about how, uh, he, uh, Baba was an influence on him directly, but now he is willing, but now he is talking about, I, I, I just heard some people say that who are like, kind of like film scholars. So he yeah. he kind of dodged the question. I thought that they always, I thought they always had kind of a, a friendship because I mean, uh, and I, I'm not great with dates. I'll just say that. But so this is '64, and then what? Bird with the Crystal Plumage. That's like what early '70s, 1970, '71, '70. Somewhere, yeah. So I mean, that's not that far removed. I thought that they always had because. Uh, Argento, he's always used that lighting, and that's cl- that is Bava lighting. I mean, Bava informs the rest of what's to come for Giallo. That's just, you know. Yeah, and uh, he he helped uh, Argento on Inferno, and I think mm-hmm. there's a like one or two other movies where Argento kind of wasn't buying and, and asked for some help, but but specific- well, and I think. But specifically, oh, Inferno is like he was at he. he uh, there's something like that with the the house in New York they're using, and he's like, I don't know what to do with this. And uh, Bob was like, Oh, I know how to do this, and he fixed this <laughs> problem with like a silent movie, um, type uh, uh, type of um trickery, and like a problem was solved. Well, I think that um. And I don't know how many he worked on, but I know that the cinematographer from cinematographer from this, uh, I, and I'm gonna butcher his name. I'm so sorry. I feel like it's like Ubaldo Torenzo, something like that. Yeah. He uh, Argento picked him up, and I know that he worked on, um, like he worked on Deep Red. He might have worked on Tenebre as at least a like a camera coordinator, a cameraman. Yeah, he's, um, he's so a- it's like I know he like picked up some of his crew he's only uh, Tr- uh, uh is only cinematographer for blonde black lace uh girl who knew too much and there's like two other movies but he's a camera operator for mm-hmm. a lot of italian movies that uh are pretty big apparently he new york uh, new york ripper um mm-hmm. uh, deep red he's he's a camera operator on multiple elio petri movies Including Toto Moto, which is probably the best one. Uh, uh, a couple Fulcher movies, Lizard in a, a Woman's Skin. Like he is all over the place. So like I, 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 uh, I forgot I was going with that. <laughs> but yeah, I knew that Argento <clears throat> took some of his crew, and I, I. But yeah, I wasn't. I guess. Um, which it's I'm weird about like film history stuff that I choose to de- like delve into, but I I guess I always just thought it was because obviously you can't look at something like 
Deep Red or Tenebre or Suspiria, and, you know, obviously that's inspired by Bava. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. So it's it, it's kind of weird that he ever had a, a moment in his career where he didn't want to talk about it, but I don't know, maybe that's just young hubris. Yeah. I don't know. I get the feeling it's probably when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And possibly, yeah. But uh, in the bonus features, he just talks about like how he's a big influence and uh, uh, I had some stuff written down. But uh, he and he and uh, um, wait, is it Lamberto or Umberto? What's his son's name? Lombardo. Lombardo. Okay. Uh, it's Umberto Lindsay. So I'm thinking of. All these <laughs> Italians are too similar. But uh, Lamberto kept on talking about how his dad is like a craftsman uh and like and there's kind of like 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 the drunk carpenter like uh uh tone to everything where it's like you get the sense of oh the the like 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 you know the name but the once you learn more about the person like oh like they did everything they knew how to do everything on a set and so like there's Mm -hmm. this real craftsman type of approach to everything which uh I find like this real satisfying to look at because like even the Bava's I don't like very much and same goes for like uh, Carpenter like even the ones I, I'm not that into I still will watch over and over again just because like it's a well-made product and they knew exactly what th- what they wanted to get out of it yeah any any director that I I don't know and I, I feel like I just kind of I get very nostalgic for stuff, even stuff that I didn't live through, but it's like if I feel connected to a director, I'll just watch everything and I'll keep re-watching those films again, even if I'm not necessarily that into one of those. I'll just keep watching it because, it, I don't know, it's like you have a thing with the director that you like that you just feel connected to. I think every film lover has that to some extent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And like for me, like this is... Up the uh, one of my favorite Bava's, not my favorite. Uh, I like the '70s stuff a little bit more because that's the ones I end up seeing first. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah uh, I mean, uh, Hatchet for a Honeymoon is my favorite one, but like that's one that I love. Hatchet for a Honeymoon. I think that would be. I mean, not that you guys. I don't know if you're covering that, but that is. I hope you do because it's such a fun film. <clears throat> uh, we might end the Super Bava episode. I. I haven't actually talked to the guest on that one about which ones we're going to talk uh, about yet. I thought we were going to save it for our next season where we're only covering movies with the word honeymoon in them. So there's, <laughs> there's honeymoon a lot killers. of them when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's honeymoon in Vegas. Okay, yeah. Uh, the oh, honeymooners. What's, what's the... Why can't I think of the... Don DeLuise, what is that? Honeymoon. Um, what the heck is that movie? There's I also it so Haunted much. Honeymoon. Is that? Haunted Honeymoon, that's yep. the one. I'll be on for that, thank you. There we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but, uh... <laughs> yeah, but, uh, anyway, but, uh... Yeah, so, like, this is... It's just, like, it's all the Baba things I like, and watching this is, like, oh, it's, uh, this was kind of remixed into Patrick Ford Honeymoon, which, uh... Mm-hmm goes more it's arguable or arguable the it's debatable whether or not they're supernatural in that movie 
which uh, I've seen it like 10 times. Uh, I'm still kind of like, it changes every time I watch it. But, um, but I yeah. I think, yeah, you could, you can read it however you want. You know, I think it's the same with like the, the shot in this that some people credit as the first like um, point of view shot from a, like a killer because everyone tries to cite Halloween and then some people debate and they're like, no, no, it's Black Christmas. And then it's like, no, no, it's this because this comes before. You could even go back to like, peeping tom if you really wanted to but so i was watching for that this time the shot where the mannequin gets knocked down and like the way that whole uh the reveal of our killers plays out if that shot is you know is it a person or is it just camera work and i don't really i don't feel strongly about it like i assume it makes sense logically that that is supposed to be the killer point of view um but I kind of like it just being a funny thing where Bava was moving around and a mannequin knocked over and he's like, I'm going to keep it in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, like, even though it's dubbed, like, even like the Italian one is dubbed, like, all of it are dubbed, there's no true version of it. Well, I guess there's a true version of it, but no one would want to watch that. It'd be uh, a nightmare. Yeah. But like, even like, even like through the dub, you can tell like these are like this is this is these are good performances. You, we don't really mm-hmm. get to know any of the characters, but you can tell like they were directed well, or at least well enough, because apparently Bava didn't uh, didn't care as much about actors. Not in a Hitchcock way, where he was an asshole. In a way where he was like he's more concerned about the uh, um, like the the effects and the camera movement. And like making sure like they get that right. Like he he cared if they looked good. He's not really caring what like what they're doing, like yeah. motivation wise. Like that's on them. Yeah, and for the most part, it worked out for him. But uh, and one of the and one of the uh, I found a quote that's in the bonus features that kind of sums up like what I just like about him as a filmmaker. It's uh. In my in my entire career, I made only big bullshits, no doubt about that. I'm just a craftsman, a romantic craftsman. I made movies just like making chairs, <laughs> which I love this like downplaying. Although, um, according to people who knew him, like L- Lamberto said, like also like he would also like uh, act like he's a great filmmaker sometimes too. Like it kind of depended on on the mood. <laughs> Uh, of course, he, he, but it kind of seems like whenever he was speaking publicly, or if someone was taking a quote, he seemed very humbled and like, oh no, 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 it's just you know, I just I do what I keep my head down and I just do what I do. But then you, to hear his son talk, it's like, he, no, he knew, like he was aware. Sometimes he thought he was the shit. It's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, like my favorite moments are just like, like the, like the the. The basic bitch stuff like i love this like the crazy excessive lighting and like the mm-hmm. and, like it's so irrational and make and like nonsensical <laughs> but like that's why i like it because it's because it because it, it doesn't make logical sense in a real world type of way and the lighting is like unearthly and you know it's like it, it's, it's using, surreal it's surreal it's using like the format of film to be like it's a movie you can do anything you want so i'm going to do this where other movies tend to tend to be you know like can be like it has to be real it's like well it doesn't have to be real you can 
play around with, uh, you know, play around with like, uh, with lighting and makeup and costumes, and it's fine. Yeah, because that's movie magic. I I watched the special features for uh, Blood Simple, like a few months ago, and in it the Coens have like a whole thing where they're talking about lighting motivation. And like, uh, so it's, it's, there's like a huge, uh, featurette on one of those. I don't know if Arrow put that out. I can't remember, but the Blu-ray for Blood Simple where they're talking about, uh, like they're going kind of scene by scene with different lighting in their films. And they're like, yeah, this isn't, uh, motivated by anything. And like, I, I took lighting in school because like in, I, I did video production. So like, uh, like for our podcast, Nolan and Stacy did like traditional film studies. I like I was the opposite of that kind of, um, and I took lighting. And I literally don't ever watch a film where I think about anything I learned in class. Like if if I were setting up something, it would be different, I suppose. But I never look at something and I'm like, where is this purple lighting motivated from? But I do like in one of my favorite scenes in this film. Uh, I would say probably, uh, which we talked about already, but the the handbag scene with all of the eyes and during the fashion show, I just love it. And I, I love that a lot of those tracking shots, it, it's done with just like a child's like wagon because again, he didn't have money for a trot, like a dolly to actually do it properly. Uh, it's but perfect. It, it looks great. It's perfect. It's wonderful. But uh, one of my other, uh, probably my favorite scene of the film and set piece is that uh the antique shop and all the lighting and it's amazing because it's like she goes in and it starts out and it's there's a lot of normal lighting but whenever she pulls up before she goes in you see this uh sign that's like a kind of a it's a green almost like a teal uh flashing that says dancing and she goes into this shop so you have like this flash of this bluish green light at her so you know where that's being motivated from granted like you have no sense of where we are in this building so it doesn't really matter but it's like you have that constant just like flash and kind of the rhythmic pattern of it that leads the scene because I mean it's just paranoia which that's a lot of the film is building this paranoia of her looking for her boyfriend uh you know going through room by room and then lights shutting off and her being pursued through this you know antiques shop but it i mean it's just yeah i don't even in these type of things it's like i don't ever consider where the motivation is coming from i just enjoy it i think stylistically it's so pleasing and it's so beautiful which that's like the most generic thing you can say about blood and black lace is it's so pretty but it is it's so pretty Uh, and I am left speechless. Is that is that, is that what's going on here, Spencer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And like like, uh, and the editing is pretty brilliant too. Cause like, this movie is ninety minutes or so, and I'm always mm-hmm. surprised when it's over. And like the edits are very um, smart. Where it's like, uh, towards the end when the killers are revealed and um, they're like, oh, we have to kill Joan, the Joan Jet lady. And and then you get a, a cut to uh, killing the Joan Jet lady, and it's like, oh, that's a really good edit because like I feel like uh, some another director would or a producer would be like, why don't we show them going to the house and track her down? It's like, no, just cut to that, 
because you know see some, what one of the issues I had was that sometimes I could not tell how much time was supposed to have passed like for a lot of the time I was like is this all the same day and night and everything like that but it must have <laughs> considering the plot twist that happens later it must have uh, taken place over a couple of days or something like that right yeah it's you know within a week's time I that one okay so the killing you're describing which I can't remember who the character's name is supposed to be but yeah Joan Jet Lady beautiful red lips um I I that's something that I really appreciate because so many of the again these girls go through it like it's it's brutal it's they're tortured it's awful it's very gratuitous but I like that especially once we figure out again not spoiling anything who this killer is it makes sense that it just cuts to the actual kind of the aftermath of it or like right the final seconds of it you don't see the whole thing played out yeah uh, and um uh, and that and like one of the things i like uh, i mean the movie is almost 60 years old do you think it's worth spoiling no, I just didn't know. We like we spoil everything on Cinema Parlor. I don't know if you guys want to talk about who's who. Because in general, I, I think because of the in-depth nature of our podcast, I feel like we <laughs> usually have to spoil them anyway. So yeah. I don't. Yeah, yes. we don't usually do a spoiler alert. Yeah. So basically, the the it's uh, the killer is Cameron Mitchell and his uh, lover. I uh, I think wife. I think yeah, that's brief finish that they're married. Who is a woman who runs like the fashion house, and um, she's the countess. The countess. Uh, interesting. The count like because they're in uh, Bay of Blood. There's a countess. Mm-hmm. A, uh, but um, Eva Bartok. Yeah. She and she. I just have to say, hands down, she's like she's the winner of this film for me. I think she's so freaking good. Like even though I'm not. I'm watching, a, you know, an English dub of her. I, like, you can just mute every scene with her. And she's so fragile but powerful. I don't yep. know. She's she is amazing. the reason, if you're watching any acting, she's the acting to watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even remember where I was going with that. Something about, uh... Oh, yeah, that I remember. And she... I, I, okay, I might be wrong. She does the last kill, the last two, and the others are Cameron Mitchell. Yeah, so she, um, which there is a, there's someone that we haven't gotten to. Like, I'll just say a big problem with this film is that you, not, not that there's a problem. That sounds like so, like, I could tell Mario Baba how to make his film better. That's, that's stupid, but yeah. Uh, but a problem is that the audience doesn't have a protagonist to cling to because normally in other giallo that is like you have an outsider coming into a situation uh, and that's you know that's who you follow with this you don't get that at all and like there's not that there's people that aren't likable it's just you know they're all like doing drugs getting murdered whatever's happening it's kind of crazy which I like because it kind of uh, when you think of like high fashion, you think of pristine and clean and all of these things, or at least I do. And then it's like 
the seedy underbelly of just all these secrets of this fashion salon. It's it's interesting, but there's a guy we haven't talked about who I don't know his name. He's the guy with the mustache. I wish he had been the detective in this film because he's so much more entertaining than the boring detective we get who I can't even tell you detective. I've seen this movie multiple times. I don't know who that detective's name is. He is so boring and so by the book and just he, so He looks like, like a a a dull white version of Bill Nunn. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just ugh, but I I wish and I don't know if that's because I uh I love Agatha Christie mysteries and I love like uh, Peter Ustinov and Evil Under the Sun. But whenever I see a guy in a giallo with a mustache, it's like, oh, you're the detective. This guy's, I don't know, whoever, I think he plays like the Marquis or something, but uh, I just wish he'd been the detective. I don't really have anything other to say than that. But um, yeah, I can't remember where I was going. I'm sorry, I'm rambling. That's fine. I remember going to say, like, I like that. Um the that the men who you would think uh are are guilty like um, the peter laurie guy who you learn uh can't get <laughs> yeah. it up and so therefore he hates women is <laughs> like like mm-hmm. like usually like in in a in a cheaper movie a cheaper not not uh like lesser like movie like that'd be he'd be a killer but like no it's like it's the big hollywood star cameron mitchell who like in and usually uh but like, uh, but all the other men are useless and don't really offer anything, and like, and like that, um, the that red herring, of like, uh, actually, it's too, it's like the red herring of like, it might be one of the men, but it's like actually, it's it's the man that, uh, at least you would le- you least expect because all the other ones have seem have a motivation that uh, is explained at some point, and uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. Like no, no, a- I, because, so we were talking about, like, the, her doing the last two killings, and him doing the rest, even if you look at that lineup of the other men, because, like, the, the detective brings them all in, you know, for questioning and holds them for 24 hours, that's why she has to, the first time she kills, she has to kill whenever he is, uh, under custody so she can give him an alibi because you know he was there the whole time but if you look at the lineup of the rest of these men of course none of them did it like they don't look like the killer like from the audience standpoint you know um like they're all just like goofy and like lava like lamp shaped individuals like they don't look like that mask figure yeah uh definitely and uh it kind of feels like a um and like the set design, like because uh, Joel, you and I, you know, just recorded the, a grind bin, uh, uh, talking about uh, Jalo, you love the Blade Pit of Horror, and I mentioned like the set design in that movie is messy and all over the place, but they like fill the screen with with shit that n- doesn't match. <laughs> and this movie is. Uh- I I don't remember you saying that. Okay. I remember you saying it was a perfect film and okay. none better had ever been made. <laughs> okay, uh, it's perfect because uh, uh, Mickey Hargate oils his chest in mid uh, dramatic speech. Thank you. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube uh, in a couple different versions. But uh, the set design with, with blonde black lace is like it's it's ex- it's like everything else. It's excessive. And everywhere, but everything, 
like it visually like it doesn't look bad it like everything matches everything has like a certain color tone or like there's a room full of mirrors on a wall and it's like it's it's insane what's like yeah but that looks cool what's cool to look at and it's not an eyesore yeah it's interesting it definitely does not look like it's filmed in like rome yeah which i think you mentioned at the beginning of the episode it does not look like it's in rome which I don't know if that's actually where it's supposed to take place. I can't remember. One of the one of the special features someone says it's supposed to be Rome, but but it it's maybe the outskirts of Rome, but I'm not I'm not sure where it's supposed to take place. I feel like a lot of the architecture and it looks very French. Like it, I which maybe it's just because it's fashion. So that's like already in my head of like this French thing. Not that Italian fashion isn't a huge industry. Obviously, it is, but it. A lot of it looks very v- French to me. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, oh, and another like weird language thing, uh, culture thing, is when he writes down um, where's the diary. He writes it in German. <laughs> yeah. So so watching, it, I was like, uh, first time I was like, uh, that's Ger-, like I I because I'm I'm really in German, uh, and I know enough German to be like. Uh, I, like, I know what that says, and that is not Italian. Then why is that in German exactly? <laughs> See, and the diary is in Italian because when I looked at it, it was like, I don't speak Italian, but I know enough French that I can tell Italian, and I know that that is what this says. <laughs> like, I was deducing because I, I thought, like, in a certain scene that whenever they're flashing through the diary that maybe what I thought was happening in the story wasn't happening based on something someone else had said. But I was like, no, no, no. I know enough about this to determine. But I do like that you have, again, it's just everyone. Why would he write that, though? Was the stuntman who played the killer, was he German? Do you know? Uh, I I don't know. Because Not to put you on the spot, but that is a weird thing that I've never thought about. Because Cameron Mitchell, I'm pretty sure, is born and bred American. Yeah, but he, I don't think he plays the killer. I think it's yeah, I think it's a stuntman that does most of it. Yeah, it must have been a German. But I, I, yeah, it must have been a German stuntman. Of who, course, I didn't look it up. <laughs> yeah, but um, what did I say? But uh, uh, the. I don't have much else to say. Honestly, like it's pretty. <laughs> the kills are brutal and effective. Um, is it saying something political, like like seventy shallows are? Probably not. Uh, but if ever, it's still like it's that middle ground between like yeah, it's kind of sleazy in uh, like a like a B movie, but it's also like really artful and it's just that middle ground type of movie that mm. I have a real soft spot for. I wouldn't be surprised if it was, if it did have any sort of message for the time. It goes along with the other Italian movies we've watched recently, where they do insert this thing to show like walking around for women is terrible, in you yeah. know Italian men are terrible to women and stuff like that. That that's if if I had to pull you know blood from that stone, I think there is a reasonable argument. Yeah, maybe in the screenplay. <laughs> but, like, not, like, from the director part of it. Because I've seen, like, enough Bob, like I said earlier, like, I don't think he had much interest in politics or putting politics in his art, I should say. Yeah, I don't, I feel like it, anything that was happening, like, of 
the time, I just think he probably what it feels like as someone who's watched a lot of his stuff is just not interested and he's he's telling a fantasy or whatever he's trying to um you know suspend someone's disbelief into the world that he's creating and so I don't get a lot of that in there but I think just like anything if you want to read into it you can like there's there are little things you can pick up on if you want to yeah and uh on that note, I should add during World War Two, when because he he was born nineteen eighteen, so he was a fully grown man by the time World War Two happened. He was doing satirical cartoons, uh, at the time, so he probably was doing like propaganda, for the for the fascists. Oh yeah, yeah, <clears throat> that and, time period for sure. And uh, Fellini Wasn't also Calvin and Hobbes or anything. <laughs> and Fellini also <laughs> did some. Uh, pro-fascist propaganda along with I think um, uh, Vesconti also did some a lot of the a couple of big name directors of that time uh, kind of got kind of were forced into that or maybe I don't know about Fellini I don't know about him personally maybe he did lean right I don't know that's it did my computer freeze or are we just all quiet <laughs> oh <laughs> well I just didn't want to cut anybody off mm. Yeah, I mean, if we're doing, like, final thoughts, like, overall, yeah, I, again, it's, like, the most simple thing to say, but this film is, it's not quite style over substance for me uh, compared to some other films, but I, I guess it's, I just don't care so much about the story, I just, I love the music, I love the visuals and the color, it's just, it's so pretty, it's such a, a, just a lush, dreamy film you know i it's it's pretty that's it i don't i don't know how many times i can say that it's just a it's a gorgeous film but that's at the end of the day that's baba it's always even if you don't love the story that's coming across usually i mean the way he shoots something how he pairs with the cinematographer it's just it's a it's very dreamy yeah it has the seijin suzuki quality of like um, uh, like hyper stylized, but done in a way it's like where it's where it's clear, where it's clearly that that's more that's the intent. They're not as interested in story, and kind of like um Suzuki, like like there's a whole a wide range of stuff that Maravapa was involved with, more than just stuff he's famous for. Mm-hmm. And to get like a full. Like, like it took me like eight movies to get into Suzuki properly, and now he's one of my favorite directors. And like same with Baba, like uh, after like uh, once I got obsessed with his movies, like I watched as many as I could in a short period, and immediately I was like, okay, I, I get it. Like it's like 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 you really do need like to watch a lot to get like the full the full uh, picture and. Uh, yes, yeah, so Joel. I'm curious how you how you will react to the next three <laughs> Bob episodes. Uh, they only get tamer, right? Uh, it depends, really. Okay. I mean, he kind of followed trends. Well, yeah, yeah, all right. We'll see. We'll see what happens. You'll you'll know. I don't hold things back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, this movie is on Tubi as of this recording, and there's man Tubi, what a 
Tubi is like the best if you want to watch like not only like this is a, an amazing classic film but Tubi like for horror especially there are so many treasures on there it's amazing and if you like wrestling <laughs> or want to get into wrestling there's Lucha Underground on Tubi uh, and uh, yeah they have they have literally everything like great anime, great action movies, great horror movies. They have like classy shit. It's it's the best. You have to watch ads, but I personally don't really care. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, it's worth it. It's also on Amazon Prime. Yeah, that too. But <laughs> I don't. As of now, I don't know if Tubi is owned by like a shitty person or not. Yeah. Oh, that's a long road to fall down, though. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we're gonna talk about who owns what, there's a lot of evil in the world, Spencer. Uh, I know. It's like I try not to just do anything Amazon unless I really have to anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was harder earlier last year because of everything, but yeah. Obviously, you should shop local if you can. Anyone should. Yeah. So was I supposed to sum up what I thought of this movie here? Uh, I, I really want to know what you think of the film, Joel, because uh, you haven't fully said. Okay. Uh, I don't think Ben Affleck was supposed to play Batman. I'm Oh, I'm sorry. I was looking at this Bat V Superman 4K. On <laughs> uh, Black Lace, get back into this. So, as somebody who appreciates film as art and also as entertainment and recently i some arguments on the little bits of film twitter i get have been kind of revolving around like you know the age of a film whether a film has merit if it is only art or 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 should movies always be entertaining like what is the purpose of a movie if it's not entertaining some people actually think that (laughs) um this movie to me is a gorgeous piece of art like you you can't even somebody who isn't crazy about movies the way we are only goes to the movie theater probably watches whatever's on tv if you show them the opening there they will be struck by lighting of the characters and then the rooms and then each of the rooms changing the lighting and depending on who's in there you, you get a different feel um and like whoever set designed like i don't know if that person were you saying that that person worked with baba more uh baba was involved with every little part of filmmaking right so uh i know there's but it's still even the people the directors that are like that uh, yeah there's there is a set designer yeah who's this person uh i'm looking up now but uh Probably someone he worked with a lot because the set design here is like the set design for a lot of his like horror and well, thrillers. And he, yeah, he tend to kind of not so much as like I think Argento was more I don't want to say loyal, but you know had like more of a team. But I I think Baba did go back to people, especially once he went to like Technicolor. I think he kept going back to the same type of uh, crew. Yeah. Anyways, it's just the set design. Everything feels like a painting and a painting that moves in that way. Uh, 
and even the actors themselves they're all perfectly sculpted and make up make a made up sorry their hairs god what am i doing um they everything looks amazing let's let, let me just shut myself up okay yeah and like uh the story okay no no what were you gonna say no and like i like that it also feels like it could be a 3d movie like the opening oh yeah with like the with the um the the sign um uh falling off slightly it looks like you could uh, like this could have been like a fun use of 3d potentially uh, it's all those spoil sports that were like, oh, I hate people like converting 2D movies to 3D movies. Like, shut up. Don't watch it. Some of us <laughs> just want to see what people can do with that stuff anyways. It, it, Whether or not it like I mean, looks as good as the original. I mean, it, That's not the yeah. point. <laughs> and it's always charming to like go back and like any of those because you have it like, you know, the first run of it and then the... Uh, whenever it hit big again, like the 80s, it's like anytime you're watching a film where you're like, oh yeah, this was 3D, it's it's just charming. At least to me it is. I just like it. Definitely. Yeah. And like, I don't know if it, if if he, if Bob was thinking maybe I can make this 3D movie to sell more mm-hmm. tickets, but like some of it does feel like if it if it did 3D, like, um, like Hugo uh, style 3D or like, yeah. like it could work. This was, this was, yeah. I feel like that would be a really good like pop horror thing for this to have done. I'm not that I'm. I mean, it's not surprising that they didn't do that, but you know, it's. I mean, I guess it's a little bit past that 3D craze, but it yeah. would have been interesting. Yeah, and I also feel like watching this. Maybe William Castle was like, "Fuck, I should get this guy to help make a movie in 3D." <laughs> <laughs> it's all true. Yeah. Anyways, the story. Is is violent and uh, upsetting and also silly uh, because that's kind of like the formation of the at least the the gelatos I've seen are like that and that's okay too. You just gotta walk in with that expectation. Uh, yeah. Right now, I'm probably more sensitive to violence against women and stuff like that because you've got nothing but time to think when you're stuck in your home for a year, right? So, true. Yeah. I mean, this does what Good Trollo yeah. does. Like, for me, where it's like, I never question it until afterwards, where I was like, wait a second. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> wait, wait a second. I don't like it when women <laughs> die. What? Like, wait, like, That's what I'm talking about that desensitate like it's we're desensitized we're heavily desensitized joel's the normal one in this situation where he watched this and he was like this is offensive and it's like (laughs) it is offensive but it's also super pretty Uh, yeah but like uh like i can watch like movie violence uh pretty much for any time for the most part and be fine but if i see a poster for a lost dog or lost cat my day is ruined yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Uh, that's sorry. that's a normal. Yeah. And you know, that's people, dogs, animals, uh, uh, invisible friends. The, these are all lies we should worry about at at every moment, right? You feel the same way about a dog dying in a movie. I guarantee it too. So, yeah. it's. Hey, and I don't I, care about Lady Gaga, but whenever I saw that she was trending and I clicked in, and it was about her dogs being abducted. I was like. Oh, call the cavalry! Like this yeah. is this is the worst thing that's happened, right? But do you know 
the whole story there like do you know what happened to the dog walker oh yeah which which that's like the first thing is people are like you're talking about the dogs a human was attacked and it's like fully that's awful no 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 but it's like as soon as i knew that the human was okay which i won't say is the person's name even though i know i don't know why we're talking about lady gaga yeah Yeah. (laughs) but like i truly though i was just like okay the person's good i was like where are those freaking dogs because like that is like a very john wick like what the fuck is happening here like automatic just like that knee-jerk reaction where you're like this is not okay that that is exact i am exactly the same way uh it, it just i think that is also a weird disconnect that we happen to have like a a level of like perceiving animals as an innocent soul and then a human can't be innocent because we're human we're not innocent right no uh anyways <laughs> we're not going to get into the uh philosophy there yeah. uh i thought it was a good movie thumbs up all right <laughs> and uh 1964 a pretty big year i recommended some stuff the last episode uh i don't remember spencer what is 1964 the movie where only good movie or the year where only good movies came out because it, it we've is already insane. done this it's so crazy i don't know if you what you guys have listed but whenever i was doing this i was just like they're probably they i've i'm certain given the topic that you guys are covering this season i was like they've already talked about this stuff it's like but every freaking movie is so good yeah yeah uh, i honestly we recorded that episode almost two months ago so I really don't remember what I said that's that's okay how, how many movies have you seen from 64 do you know Who, which one are you talking to either of you a bunch like so many like if you click in films 1964 I was just like oh a classic a classic I've seen these they're so good and some of them I'm like this came out in the same year what I have uh, yeah. 11 listed on Letterboxd, but I know for a fact there's more. Okay. Yeah, I've got 23 on Letterboxd, <laughs> and I have to say there's only one that I thought was a dud. There's one legitimately bad movie, which is actually great to watch. I want to hear the dud and the bad film. Oh, okay. Uh, should I go first? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so both of these were ones that were previously covered on my podcast, Please Don't Send Me Into Outer Space, which uh, has been on hiatus for more than a year. Give us a break. Uh, it is science fiction and fantasy. Now, it'll com- I'm sh- it will come back. If it'll the world come comes back, back it'll come back. I said RAPD is, is the joke one. <laughs> no, no, I understand. But now those detectives are going to be on my ass because I stole a bunch of soul gold or whatever that movie's about. Uh Yes, so one of them is a movie called Goodbye Charlie, and uh, it's a adaptation of a play wherein a chauvinistic asshole uh, falls off of a cliff and he comes back as a woman, a beautiful blonde Debbie Reynolds, and his best friend is Tony Curtis, who has to like deal with the fact that he's now very attracted to his best man friend in his body. And, you know, it's supposed to be we're teaching him a lesson and like how hard it is to be a woman and stuff like that. And it, it definitely misses the mark. And because it has because it, it is so obviously a stage play, they didn't really do anything dynamic with 
backgrounds or scenes or or even like prop work i'd have to say uh, but it's it's pretty because the actors are pretty so that's that's the mediocre one the other one so bad it's good literally is santa claus conquers the martians oh this is a classic mm-hmm. it's a classic it is every every december you do yes oh yeah well, no for that's sure great. yeah i it's not good it's bad. no it isn't but yeah 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 it is so entertaining like i i feel like people would be more hesitant to watch this one than they would to watch the room or birdemic because See, it is older you I know? don't. yeah i don't like to do i okay I have this weird thing where it's, I don't like things ironically. Like, I just like what I like. So I do legitimately like this film. I know no, it's no. bad. Like, 100% I know it's bad. Mm-hmm. It is, it was on Prime. I, I don't know if it still is. It is, it's worth it to watch. It is, it's very entertaining. Oh, yeah. It's it's on YouTube because it's one of those movies that fell out of. Um... Oh, like the rights. Like Yeah, yeah. Nobody yeah. owns it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know I totally agree with you because the I felt it was like a legitimately uh, what's the uh, an earnest work <laughs> like yeah no people, I think the people that set out to do it thought they were yeah they weren't they're like this is good yeah and they like were we're they doing were something sending a message and all these things like that and like yeah no I get that. Uh, the the way I appreciate those other two movies is in a slightly different one than this one. Uh, probably because I don't know anything about the production. Anyways, no. So th- this is the one that I think everyone should try if they haven't tried. Even if you're not somebody who likes bad movies, you you it's entertaining the whole way through. You know, and it's got a good message at the mm-hmm. end of it. You could watch it at Christmas or at Alien Sacrifice Day. Yeah. Or Christmas in July. It's another option. Really, oh. I mean, this fits in any point of the year. Yep. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, for me, um, let's see. Uh, Lemonade Joe. It's a... Get the name right. It's Aldrich Lipsky. He... I think you're pretty sure he's dead. He was a Czech director, and he made a lot of comedies. And Lemonade Joe uh, was part of the inspiration for... Um, uh, the Coen Brothers Western Buckaroo Bill. What? What's what's the name? The what? <laughs> is it the ballad of that one? Buster Scruggs. Yeah, Buster Scruggs <laughs> is based off of um, like looks true a lot, grit. <laughs> a look, looks like <laughs> Lemonade Joe, and it's a goofy comedy. And it it plays with like color filters, right? Like Daisy's plays with color filters, and. uh uh, I don't, uh, like if you haven't seen if oh, it's only Czech movies you've seen or like Czech New Wave, you should watch Lipsky stuff because like he, I guess he kind of is New Wave, but kind of not. But he did more like this like mainstreamy like he's like movies for like like comedies that everyone can enjoy. Uh, he did movies with plots. Uh, a little bit more, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I watched part of Lemonade Joe. Like, I, I remember something about him coming into the town, and the lady was like, yeah. And these guys were like, oh. And then, yeah. yeah 
it's, nailed it's, it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, a uh, really good movie. Like, uh, just, uh, more people should see it. Uh, but uh, other one, uh, Gate of Flesh, my favorite Suzuki film. I write, write about hell yeah, wrote about it on Jailhouse Seven Zero One. Um, and the original version of that article was like twice as long, but I felt like I was rambling, so I had to kind of cut it in half. <laughs> But I might do like a part two or add on to it at some point because I have way too many notes on that movie. Um, Put it on your Patreon, you know. People want to see that stuff. Uh, $100 a month? It's not that much to ask. Here's some notes. Sure. <laughs> okay. And... I didn't list that because I knew you would list it. No. <laughs> do you like it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you get. A, but I, I was like, I, every time I do this for you guys, I'm like, I feel like they're gonna hit these, so I try to do like more obvious ones because it's like they're gonna cover this. I know. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. I mean, it, it, you should let the guest go first. <laughs> that that seems. Yeah. I mean, it, it's Suzuki doing Tennessee Williams. Everyone's horny, sad, and sweaty. So horny, so sweaty. And there's a dead cow. Yeah, and you see a dead cow get killed on screen, but it's in really quick cuts, so it doesn't really feel impactful when it's happening. That's right. Until yep. it's like, oh, yeah, wait. just just try doing that to your own arm and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, but uh, my last one is Straight Jacket, the Joan Crawford, um, William Castle movie. It's late era uh, Castle, late era Joan Crawford. It's great, and not not an ironic campy yeah, Jones- way. Like it's it's just a great. A little movie. Joan's so good in that. Her performance is—I mean, it's—it's it's phenomenal. It's one of her best. I love that film. What's it about? Well, it's hard to say. It's ooh, a lot of. A lot. You happens. should watch it. <laughs> uh, well, and there's a lot left unsaid, and then it unfolds, and we got twists and turns. Hmm. Yeah. All right, I'll check it out. Yeah, I think that's the one I told. Well, a while ago, John messaged you like. I'm watching a William Castle movie, and it mentioned Ventura, California. I think that was the one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, a place, I guess. No. <laughs> oh, and a book, because uh, I'm trying to do more of that to make us seem smarter. No, because I'm part, okay. I ran out running out of movies because this this season will will have a lot of same years. Sure. Uh, um, the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. The uh, Philip K. Dick novel, it's mm-hmm. uh, of the ten I've read, it's probably my favorite one, and it's one that I'm surprised hasn't been adapted into anything yet. But uh, yeah, it's Philip K. Dick. It, it deals with like identity and like there's like uh, drugs and there's weird uh, comedy and you know it's like that's a great one to start with. Is uh the Three Sigmata of Palmer Eldridge. And in the the very that's uh, not very bad in the bad trilogy of books that Del Toro wrote uh, about vampires, uh, I don't like them. Maybe p- some people do, but there's a character named Eldridge Palmer who is a direct reference to uh, this to uh, through Stigmata. No, that's it. Yeah, don't read the strain books. Right. They're not good. <laughs> well, I don't know what all you guys have listed or what you're... Obviously, you're going to... 
just the nature of the season, you are going to have so much from this time period. But uh, I would say, too, that, and it's because I love kaiju films so much and I love the Showa era in particular, you have to watch Mothra and Godzilla, or Mothra vs. Godzilla and Ghidra, the three-headed monster. They're both Honda films and they're probably, besides the original uh, film, they're the best of that era for sure. And Mothra is like one of my favorite kaiju, even though it's just a big moth. I, I, it's so good. Such a great film, such a great cast, both of those films. And then, uh, A Shot in the Dark, which I didn't realize Pink Panther, the first film and A Shot in the Dark came out this year. They both came out in 64. And I don't know if, if they were shot in 63 and then one, the, first film didn't come out or it was delayed. I'm not sure what happened, but whenever I was going through, I was surprised to see. But A Shot in the Dark, I think it's one of the, I mean, it's just a fantastic comedy. If you haven't seen it, you have to. It's really good. Uh, You don't have to see the first film to enjoy it. It's great on its own. And then again, to just be super basic, I have to say A Fistful of Dollars. So. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I know. I know it's the ob- these are obvious choices. No. I could say like oh, I f- like Umbrellas of Sherbor. Oh. That's the same year. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. I know. <laughs> I know. We're, we're, we probably will do Umbrella Sherbor. I figured you would because it's New Age with Demi, but yeah, and uh, it's a musical. So Joel, you know what that means? Alexandria. Yeah, because she's the musical person. She tends to pick oh, okay. only the musical uh, episodes. I was just. Uh... <clears throat> Just making sure it wasn't something like you know what that means. When, Time to cut off your hand. I think when Nolan watched Umbrellas, I think feel like that was right. Or I don't know if it was before or after La La Land came out because obviously that's a huge influence on it. Uh, but he was just like, I didn't n- not this isn't how it came across. Again, he is a smart individual, but sometimes in my head the way he, he was like, I didn't know they just sang everything in musicals. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Oh yeah, every line in that bad boy is sung. He's like, I know, but it was good. He really loved it. But it's just funny that talk. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's those are my sixty four. If if we were doing books, I could have crushed that, but I off the top of my head I can't think of oh. anything that was released okay. in sixty four. Well, well next time when you're on for the Jalo episode or uh, <coughs> the other episode that I mentioned to the other you two. episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but covert. Yes, super secret. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, th- oh, is there a crossover between this and the soft skin? Joel, is there any crossover? I don't think so. Uh, men are, yes. Men are uh, shitty. That that fact. <laughs> yeah, that that fat creep could have been this killer the whole time. Um, <laughs> no, I. Yeah. The let's see, I. Hmm. They they both have very good endings. That's that's what they have in common. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, cause like, uh, I mean, soft skin is like Dracula, without Dracula, and it's just, it's Harker the whole time. Sure. But but but. Well, I I mean, I I really dug the shadows in that. I remember that specifically. Yeah. And but yeah, in relation to that, that's. And this is because yeah. one's black and white, one's color. So yeah, and Blood Black Lace is Dracula with Dracula, right? And that's lively. And Dracula's girlfriend, who 
will do anything Dracula says. Yeah. And Dracula can never love her truly. It's never. Never. No. <laughs> Ennui. Yeah, uh, there's not really much crossover. Uh, it's clear the one I like more th- than the other. But, uh, I don't know, maybe when I'm older I'll like soft skin more. Because uh, I remember we recorded someone, his episode won't come out for a while, but he said, like, he really loves a soft skin. So, yeah, maybe it'll grow on me. But uh, both movies are good, very good. Uh, soft skin, I think, is only on Criterion, cha- uh, Criterion Channel. Or uh, there's a Blu-ray out there, but uh, yeah, right. it's an it's uh, underappreciated um, Truffaut that definitely should be seen. Mm-hmm. And there's a uh, uh, and uh, has the uh, Catherine Deneuve's younger sister in it, who was in um a uh, the Demi movie. Yes, that is that is definitely a reason to watch it to see. The few movies that actress is in. I mean, the, the the couple that I've seen, she knocks it out of the park. So, yeah. I can't remember her sister's name. It's super French, and I think I I need to hear it said <laughs> first before I say it out loud. Uh, I'll look real here. What okay. It, it's the so uh, Melanie. Uh, this comes out in three weeks. Uh, so uh, what's happening uh, with Cinema Parlor? And three. Oh, okay. So, for sure, by the time or right around this comes out, we should have uh, an episode on John Berman's uh, Excalibur. That's our next big thing we're talking about. Oh, nice. I just watched it this past weekend. Nolan had never seen it, and it was a very. Again, he's. Nolan's Nolan. He's a madman. But uh, watching something that like conquest he hadn't seen watching that with him for the first time it was really fun because it's there's just certain films that uh being there for an introduction it's so much fun to to introduce someone to and excalibur that's a film i i mean i feel like most people think it's feel similarly how i do i think it's amazing but uh i knew he would really like it in particular because of the some of the acting choices are so big and fun so that's our next thing though it's crazy era borman so uh of course i love it <laughs> i love you uh, yeah yeah I, I love his uh his this like the seven like pl- point blank to emerald forest is like he's Ugh, bulletproof yeah even when it's like it doesn't work it's like well he still went for it and i love that he went for it every single time he swings so hard yeah it's at which point, I mean, that's such a fantastic <laughs> film, but I just love how, like, audit, it's, yeah. Excalibur is just so grandiose. It's amazing. Yeah. I love it. And it was supposed to be Lord of the Rings, but then funding fell out. Yep. Which, coming from someone who doesn't like Lord of the Rings at all, that, that's a blessing. <laughs> Oof. I, I don't feel the same. I'm, I love Lord of the Rings. I'm not, I love the books. I love the yeah. films, but I get it. <laughs> I, I, I don't say I think it's because uh, I uh, the first Lord of the Rings thing I ever read was a similar similarian, <laughs> whatever you call it. Oh, sim- I, yeah, similarian. When I was Cimmerillion. eleven, because the, the movies were coming that that... out. Because like the the books were yeah. sold out at the book fair. Like I'll get this one, and I read. And I was like, this makes no sense to me, and I. F- oh, for like the yeah. next, I don't know, 
almost 20 years. I, I'm, not, I'm not 31 yet. I'm getting close. So basically from that <laughs> moment on, I was like, fuck this shit. This is fucking stupid. <laughs> well, yeah, that's basically like like an obscured like origin story of how everything comes. I won't get into it. It's Listen, after you've read Lord of the Rings, Cimmerillion's awesome, but I get it. I fully get it. It's not for everybody. Oh, I read Hobbit uh, like eight <laughs> years ago. Um, too many songs. Cut the songs out. It, it, the oh, book is too long for the Spencer. songs. Spencer. I'm not. How, I'm not. How dare you? I'm not a fantasy those person. Songs. Oh. Okay, that's fair. Every I won't hold I, it against you, but how dare you? Every time I try with that type of fantasy, it's like, nah. I, I still my. Brain, it's just not for you. My brain rejects yeah. it every time. <laughs> All right. I like the Parker novels. Oh yeah, that's that's about it. I'd rather <laughs> read like the weird Philip K. Dick science fiction that is kind of super niche <laughs> instead, <laughs> or like John. Listen, Brunner some of us, some of us can have both. Okay, you yeah. can have you can have all these weird things, but I mean, I love Philip K. Dick, but I mean, I love some Tolkien too. I can't help it. Yeah, it's I mean, good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> although I think uh, Philip Dick got around a little more in Tolkien. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Book oh, yeah. taste is just way harder to pin down than like movie taste. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it. Uh, anyway. Well, yeah, and it's it's a bigger commitment. I mean, you're yeah. a film; it goes by in you know ninety minutes. A book you're reading for like a week. It's just yeah. it's to- totally different. What you want to oh. invest your time in. <clears throat> yeah. Or you're like people like me. <laughs> yeah. And uh, okay, so for me, uh, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, Jailhouse 701 is back. I reviewed the movie Onimasa, which is a really great Yakuza epic with uh, my beloved Nakadai. And um, it's a wonderful movie. Uh, it's worth tracking down, but there's a scene with dogfighting in it that I, I wish I would have known ahead of time, but it's. No, there's no on-screen death. It's handled as well as you can handle it, and it serves like a metaphor, metaphorical purpose in the movie. But uh, if you do watch it, just know that going and and it's it's pretty brief in the mo- and uh, but uh, yeah, it can really caught me off guard. But it's Gosha. It's like the typical like Gosha like t- approach of violence and like the Gosha uh, women, like the type of women characters he always. Uh, has his late era stuff. It's just like the perfect thing for me. <clears throat> Except for that one scene that is a little like this. But also, I understand why it's there. But uh, there's that. Uh, and I'll have uh, some other stuff like another uh, Nakadai movie coming up. And uh, some other random stuff that will be coming out that I'm starting to work on pretty soon. In the African History blog, maybe something will be up. Uh, Maybe not. I have to read a couple books that are uh, a couple books to uh, start the next series of uh, articles. So, yeah, eventually something will happen with that at some point. I've never said that sentence before. What? I need to. I need to read a couple of books. Well, I have a book of speeches from this former president, and I have a biography. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, well, I yeah. have to read this now. Yeah, if you ever hear me say I need to read a couple of books, you're not going to hear from me from like 
know, the next three or three to five years. Oh, wait. Yeah. The, oh, this week I record on the Mustachio Podcastio with Daniel. Um, and I picked um, Vincent Price, and it was a Theater of Blood, a movie that Daniel yes, had. Yes, that's such a good film. Had never really heard of. And I am, I am glad I get to introduce the movie to Daniel. That movie is super fun. Yeah, it's such a fun film. All right. Shall we call it a quits? Don't you have anything, Joel? No. <laughs> that was very judgy. Wow. Don't you have anything? <laughs> Joel, if you don't have anything, that's perfectly fine. Okay. Oh, yeah. Grind bed? <laughs> that's, Whenever that comes here, here's what I Here's what I have. If somebody wants to have uh, a Dorcas on their podcast, I'm available whenever. Just, it, just hit me up. I know I should be hitting people up, but I'm incredibly shy. At JDT Movies on Twitter. Oh, it's just be like me and by the way i mean there's no way anybody got to this part of the podcast because we went on at like fourteen thousand tangents mostly my fault but uh yeah yeah we're all complicit in this we all did it it doesn't matter uh yeah so uh be 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 safe be smart uh watch movies that make you feel good during this time Watch something that came out before 1975. Ah, oh, sorry. Oh shit! The next pairing oh. is April. I forgot to say it. It's um the young girls of um. Yeah, I I I learned how to say this, and I already forgot. Rochefort. Yeah, what, Rochefort. What you said. Roche, yeah. And yeah. uh, I and one had her and might have been recorded already on Deadly Sweet, a Tinto Brass movie, uh, with uh mm. LB. Uh, from Grumpire uh, was in that one. It was a fun discussion. And Alexandria is on the Young Girls of Roche for because it's a musical and uh you know, that that that's that's the pattern. With uh yeah, so watch those movies. <laughs> All right. Alright, uh Stop Stop <laughs> Stopping. The show can be found on Twitter at PianoPlayerPod. Our email is still highlowpod at gmail.com. You can find a show on Spotify, Podbean, and various other places where you can find podcasts. Our intro music is by Vivian Fop, and our cover art is by Sarah Roberts. You can find her art at sarahkathleenroberts.com, and thank you for listening.